We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. Listen, we're going to jump right in. I'm going to get you to grab your Bible, if you would, and let's go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, and uh, we're going to jump in. And so we're going to talk about the rest that Jesus wants to bring, but to get to that place of rest, there are some verses of Scripture that we've got to walk through, and, and they're going to be heavy and weighted and direct, and we're going to find in Jesus this morning is a very uh, deep and passion to see Men and women find in him what their hearts are longing for and the passion and the, 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 the fire that burns in him for us to abandon oftentimes what's keeping us from him and experiencing what he has for us. So in this passage of scripture, the greater context, as we think about come who are weary and heavy burden, and I'll give you rest for your soul, right? So that's where we're going to be. But to get there, we've got to understand the context, what, what Jesus is uh, going to say leading up to this a moment. So John the Baptist is in prison. He's going to die in prison. We know the story, how it unfolds for him. He's going to have his head uh, removed uh, by, by Herod. And, and so we know things are not going to end well for um, John the Baptist. So John sends some messengers to Jesus, some of his disciples, to ask a simple question. Are you the Messiah? Are you really the one? Now remember, John was the one who said, hey, Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John has had this conviction and faith that Jesus is the Messiah, but because of the trial that he's going through, even someone as great as John the Baptist, by the way, Jesus says about John the Baptist, no, uh, there's been no man born of a woman who's greater than John the Baptist, all right? So some of you whose mama told you you were the greatest person born of a woman, all right? That's what Jesus says is John, all right? And so even this great mighty man of God named John doubted for a season because of circumstances that he's going through. That should bring great comfort to us in this room. If you've ever gone through a season of doubt, know that you're in good company because uh, John the Baptist doubted for a season of his life as well. And so Jesus affirms John and he speaks well of John and he answers John's question. Yes, I'm the Messiah. No, you're not getting out. And then he speaks highly of John. And then something happens in the heart of Jesus. As, as Jesus begins to see the circumstances that John finds himself in and he sees a crowd, primarily the crowds that have rejected John and that have rejected Jesus, the one that John pointed to. Jesus begins to be filled with this righteous indignation, this, this, this passion that begins to kind of explode from uh, his heart. Look, if you, if you would, in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 11, verse 16, Jesus is looking out over these people who have rejected him and rejected John. He says, but what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance and we sang a dirge and you did not uh, more, Jesus is referring to the unbelievers of the day. He says, what can I compare this generation who rejected John's message of his call to repentance and prepare themselves for the Messiah? For those who've rejected my message to, hey, come to me. 
what shall I compare this generation to? And then he uses this analogy. He said it's like children playing at the marketplace. And they're trying to play this game, and, and they have a friend or they have another playmate, and that playmate doesn't want to play any of the games that are being suggested. And he's saying, they're saying, hey, we, we, we sang a dirge for you. We, we sang a song of mourning, but you wouldn't mourn. You didn't want to play that game. We, we played a flute for you, a, a song of celebration, but you didn't want to dance. In other words, it's like, you know, kids who are getting frustrated, they're like, do you want to play NBA 2K? No, I don't want to play that. You want to play Fortnite? No, I don't want to play that. In other words, there's nothing you can offer them to satisfy them, right? Just spoiled children. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, this generation, it's like spoiled kids. No matter what's offered to you, you reject it. Then he goes on to make the application to this analogy. He says, verse 18, for John came neither eating or drinking, and you say that he has a demon, the Son of Man, Jesus speaking to himself, about himself, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say that he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. In other words, the truth is revealed by the actions. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. John came on the scene and he played a dirge. He, John's message was a message of repentance. He came fasting. He came not eating and not drinking. He came proclaiming the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Prepare your heart. So John came singing a, a, a dirge. A dirge is a funeral song. It's a song of mourning. John called the people to mourn over your sin. Repent of your sin. Prepare your hearts. And, and they rejected John's song. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he's seen, he says, hey, the bridegroom is here. Now is the time to celebrate. And Jesus came playing the flute. He came going to parties and eating and drinking. And so the crowds looked at John the Baptist and said, man, he has got a demon. And Jesus, he's nothing but a party animal and a drunkard. In other words, Jesus is saying, what's it going to take to satisfy you? I came telling you it's time to celebrate because the kingdom of God is here and you rejected my message. John came saying, repent, the kingdom of God is near and you rejected his message. He says, you're like spoiled children. But no matter what's proclaimed to you, you're just going to reject it. You, you love your traditions. You love your system. You love your religion more than you love God. And you've rejected the message that has been sent here to save you. And listen to what Jesus says next. This is where he begins to unload. So those of you who get this mental picture of Jesus as this, this is meek, uh, kind of uh, quiet, I'm just here to make everybody happy type of Jesus, you're about to have your theology blown up in this moment, all right? Look at verse 20. And then he began to denounce or to condemn the cities where most of the mighty works had been done because, listen to this, they did not repent. They didn't want to mourn over the song of John. They didn't want to dance to the song of Jesus. They refused to repent. They refused to embrace the message. And so he begins to denounce those cities. Listen to what he says in verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. In other words, they would have went, sackcloth and ashes is an expression of, in Jewish culture of a mourning and weeping and repentance. But I tell you, listen to this, it would be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? 
No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, they would have remained until this day. But I tell you, listen to this, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. Jesus is speaking to three primary cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. This is the region in Galilee where Jesus would have spent the majority of his ministry. These people had front row seats to the Messiah. God in flesh, God on earth, the very presence of God on the planet centered his ministry in those three communities. The base of his ministry would have been Capernaum. That's why he addresses them in isolation. And he says to them, you've seen the mighty works of God. Most of the miracles that Jesus performed were in those little tiny, small, 150, 200 people communities. And these people witnessed the power of God on display, the very message of the gospel being proclaimed by the centerpiece of the gospel, which is Jesus. And he says to them, woe to you. You've seen God's hand. You've heard my message. You've witnessed firsthand the power of God, but you wouldn't repent. You wouldn't hear it. You wouldn't dance to the song. You wouldn't mourn to the music. And he says, and because of that, it'll be more tolerable than he names three other cities. For Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. The last one we're most familiar with, right? But all three of these cities would have been known for their wickedness, for their idolatry, for their pagan worship, and for their sexual immorality, and for their oppression to the poor. When you thought of, of, of cities like this, here's what we would probably think in our day and time. It would be like Jesus saying, Woe to you, Longview, Texas. Woe to you, White Oak. Woe to you, Gilmer. These little conservative communities where the gospel is accessible on every single corner, where the message of God is something that you can get. You've been saturated in Christian culture. You've been saturated in the understanding of who Jesus is and what his call is on our life. He says, woe to you. And he says, listen, it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Las Vegas, for San Francisco, and for New Orleans than for you. Because here's what we do. We play the whole game. I'm glad I don't live there. It was just the immorality and the wickedness. Every single person, when Jesus said this, their jaw would have hit the floor. He says, if, if Tyre and Sidon would have just seen what you've seen, they would have repented in, in sackcloth and ashes. If Sodom had been witness to what Capernaum had witnessed, he said they wouldn't have been destroyed. They would remain till this day because they would have repented. So I'm telling you, he says, on the day of judgment, now listen, here's the thing we need to understand. There are different degrees of hell. And none of them are good. And none of them are good. Just like in heaven, by the way, there are going to be rewards in heaven. You're like, oh, I thought we were saved by grace. You are saved by grace, but you will be rewarded for your faithfulness. So there will be greater blessings for the faithful who, who, are, who are good stewards of what God has entrusted to you. And listen, there will be a greater accountability in hell in different degrees of suffering. And here's what he said. Capernaum, Chorazin, Listen, there is going to be greater suffering for you on the day of judgment than for the most wicked cities in history. Why? Because you've had exposure to the truth, but you rejected it. Look at me for a second. Hear me say this. Indifference toward the gospel is more damning than ignorance of the gospel. You with me? 
Indifference towards the gospel is more damning than ignorance of the gospel. And I'm going to love you enough just to say some of you in this room, I love you. Listen to me. Week in and week out, you hear the truth. You've witnessed the power of God transforming lives. You've seen God do amazing things in this community and in this church. And week in and week out, you come in and you listen. You listen to the music and you hear the sermons and, and God's message is being proclaimed. God's power is evidence. You've seen the mighty works of God, but yet you leave indifferent toward these things because you love your tradition and you love to play it safe and you love your control and you love having one foot in the world and one foot in the church and because you love the rituals of spirituality, but you've never experienced the power of the gospel and because you love all of those things you have been indifferent toward the one thing that will change you forever and listen to me it is a dangerous thing we need to heed the warning of Jesus to hear and to and to be indifferent and to turn away from is, is a dangerous thing. Some of you need to be saved today. And you've heard week in and week out and week in and week out. But you've held on to your religion. You've held on to your self-righteousness. You've held on to the control of your life for all of these years. And yet, the truth has been right in front of you. Listen, today is a day for some of you to dance or to mourn. So Jesus is... Um, He's intense, right? I mean, this is heavy, right? And then he turns and he, he's going to, in the midst of all of this heartbreak over the rejection, he is going to extend an invitation. So you look what happens here. This is the context of come and rest. Verse 25. And at this time, Jesus declared, at this time, so he's still in. This is, by the way, this is all one unit. Still in that conversation of John the Baptist's disciples coming, he affirms John, he, he says these things, and at this time, so after he finishes this speech, he says, at this time, he declared, I thank you, Father. So he's praying to the Father, but he's praying to the Father so that everybody can hear him, all right? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, but you've revealed them to little children. In other words, I thank you, Father, that your gospel is so simple that the wise and learned, because of all of their intellectual ability and because of they think they are so smart, they can figure out all the mysteries of God, they, 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 their, their intellect gets in the way of their heart. And that what is, what is easy to understand can't be comprehended, but yet these little children, in other words, the simple-minded, those who are weak, they get it. And what Jesus is simply saying is that the gospel is, 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 has to be received with a childlike type of faith. Those who, who want to uh, uh, reason the gospel away and who want to think because of their own intelligence and because they've got this thing all figured out, they don't get it because it requires a childlike faith. He said, but you've revealed this thing to little children. And I love what Jesus says next. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus' primary responsibility was to come and reveal the Father. And he did this not by having a word from the Father, but rather, listen, being the word of the Father. Jesus is the word of God made flesh that, that came and lived among us. Jesus came to reveal the Father. But he came to reveal the Father to those who were weak 
and willing to hear and willing to see. You see, because of the blindness of our heart, we, we love darkness more than light. I want you to hear what Jesus says next. In the midst of all of this, Jesus is going to extend this gracious invitation. This is where the tone changes. So think about this, the passionate plea, the passionate cry, this, this rebuking, this, this, in the midst of this, this, this righteous indignation, Jesus is going to take a breath and he's going to look with a heart of compassion. And he's going to make this plea to come. Look what he says, verse 28. Then he says, come, come, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is life. So, so here's what's happening. This passage really gives us the weight and the significance of why it is worth it to, pay, to, 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 to understand the cost of discipleship, and answer the call of discipleship. Jesus is saying, there is something that I'm going to offer you that, 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 you, that is going to be worth everything you, would abandon me, uh, everything you would abandon for me. This is what the gospel produces in our life. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to answer two questions about this invitation Jesus gives. All right, if you're ready, I say I'm ready. Two questions we need to answer when Jesus gives this invitation. The first is this. Who is this invitation for? Who is this invitation for? I mean, he just rebukes a lot of people, right? And then he extends this invitation. So let me give you the answer to the question, who's this invitation for? It's for those who are exhausted by trying to find in themselves what's only available in Jesus. This invitation is for everyone who is exhausted uh, from trying to find in themselves what is only available in Jesus. Notice what he says. He says, all, come to me, all who, are, who, who labor and are heavy laden. Now, there's two different words here, and it's important that we see the difference. Labor uh, is, is this idea of active. It's, it's, an, it's an active uh, form in, in the Greek language. So it's uh, active. It's something you're doing. You're, you're working, you're toiling, you're, you're struggling through life, you're, you're choosing to take certain paths, you're choosing to behave in certain ways, you're choosing this labor, this work. The, the second is passive, it's heavy laden, or maybe some of your translations have burden. This is passive. This is the load that's laid upon you. And so there's really two ideas here. The, the picture is, it's those who are exhausted from doing and from having something put on them. The picture is an animal. Who, who is carrying a heavy load, and they're exhausted, and they're tired, and they can't take another step. And here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, there, 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 there's labor in life. There's toil in life because we strive to find meaning and purpose and hope. We, we carry the, the choices of our life. The sin decisions are like weights that are put, put upon us, and so we're laboring through life with these decisions and these failures, trying to figure out and find hope in this life on our own. And so at times we're living our life and we're trying to find some sort of sense of significance or peace or some sort of rest, but we're doing it by our own labor. Are you with me? And then he says heavy laden is passive. In Jesus' day... Um, the religious elite, the, the religious leaders would have, in addition to the law, made their man-made laws. 
and would have said to the people, if you really want to know God, if you really want to find wholeness, if you really want to be forgiven and loved by God, if you really want to be a part of the kingdom of God, then you've got to follow our rules. You've got to follow our rituals. You've got to follow our ceremonies. And so they would pile these burdens up on the people. And the people, man, we're just like, we're, we're burdened down. We've got sin. And it seems like the more law you give us, the more heavy life becomes and the more we trip and the more we fall. And so what Jesus is saying, he says, listen, I'm calling to those of you who are tired of religion, who are tired of trying to find meaning in life on your own terms. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Is there anyone here who is tired of being tired? Is there anyone here who recognizes that you are spiritually bankrupt and all of this load that you're trying to carry, you're weary and you're burdened and you can't go another step? This is the point Jesus is making. He's simply saying, I've got something better for you. Listen, here's where, this is where some of you are this morning. This is where some of you are this morning. You, you so want your life to be fixed. Like you, you, want your, you want your marriage to be better. You want that sin that just keeps tripping you up and, and the weight and the guilt that you feel over decisions you've made and, and the consequences of those decisions. And you just want your life to be fixed. And you're thinking, maybe I need to clean myself up. Man, I, I need to work harder. I need to become more of a spiritual person. I, I want to I do more. I just want my life to be whole. I want my life to be fixed. Some of you, this fixing of your life is not necessarily a crisis that you're in, but rather a void that's in your heart. And so you're, you're working tirelessly day in and day out, and you're laboring, find, trying to find some sort of sense of peace and wholeness and purpose in your life. Others of you in this room, you know what you need is a relationship with God. But you think it's through jumping through the hoops of religion and ritual and being a better person, and I'm going to clean myself up, and maybe if I go to church more and I pray harder and I, I will myself into becoming a better person, that one day I'll do enough for God Well, God will then uh, accept me because uh, of, of what I've accomplished for him. Here's the problem with both of those. We can labor and we can toil and we can strive and we can work. And listen, the only thing that's going to be produced in our heart is more weariness and more burden and a heavy labor, and we're going to be physically, spiritually, and emotionally exhausted. And that is where some of you are in this room. You're beat down. And here's the great news. Listen, if, if, if some of you in this room, you are exhausted by sin, you're exhausted by failure, you're exhausted by never measuring up, the inability to find purpose and meaning in life, Here's the question for you this morning. Look up here at me. Are you at the end of yourself? In essence, this is what Jesus is saying. Are you at the end of yourself? Because I've got something better for you. Hear me say this. Until you come to the end of yourself, until you understand that, that you are weary and heavy burdened, until you come to the realization, I will never be able to do enough. I am exhausted from trying. I, I have nothing to offer. I can't continue with this life of madness, of me trying to shoulder the burden of life on my own. Until you come to the end of yourself, you will never be in a position to receive what Jesus has to offer. This is why Jesus says what he says in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5, verse, uh, verse number 16, I think, or 17. No, it's actually verse number 9 or 10. Blessed is the poor in spirit. Huh. 
Blessed is the poor in spirit. Why blessed are the poor in spirit? Those who are spiritually bankrupt. And he says, for, they, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This is who's going to get the kingdom of God. It's not for those who think, I can do it, and I've got enough, and I'm going to be, and I've got self-righteousness, and I can conquer the world on my own. No, no, no. The kingdom of God can't be experienced by those people. It's those who are poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to understand you are spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to offer. I have everything to receive. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Listen, until something is emptied, think about this, think about this. Until something is emptied of whatever's in it, it cannot be filled with something else. Until you are emptied of all of your self-effort and self-work and trying to find and accomplish, until you come to the end of yourself, you cannot enter into the rest that's available to you in Jesus. You've got to cease from it being on your terms and your way. And Jesus is saying, if, if you're at the end of yourself, if you're weary and you're heavy burdened, if you're tired of being tired because you can never do, be, have, acquire, come. That's who the invitation is for. So the second question we need to ask is this. What is this invitation to? What is this invitation to? Here's the answer. You ready for the answer? Say, yep. It's an, invita- it's, a, it's, a, it's an invitation into a relationship with Jesus. And in him, we find the rest that our souls long for. It's an invitation into a relationship with Jesus. Now, this is massive here. And in him, we find the rest that our soul longs for. Look what he says in verse 20, 28. This is very simple. He says, come to who? Say it like you're awake. Come to who? Come to me, all, all, everyone who labor and are heavy laden. So those of you who are tired of being tired and you're just, you're beat down with life and you can't do enough, be enough, have enough and and be religious enough. Those of you who are tired, come to me. And I love this next part of the verse. And I, I will give you rest. This sentence is incredible. So when he says the word come here, this, this is a unique word in the Greek language. It doesn't mean like, like come, come, hey, come. It's it's a word that kind of is, is declarative. So think about, think about being in a busy place like the mall or a football game or somewhere on, on Friday night football game and you're leaving and the crowds are leaving and, you know, you, you lose kind of one of your kids or walking away and, and you're, you're, hey, over here, right here, right? You can tell they're looking and they're looking around. And you're like, no, no, no. Oh, hey, right here, over here, right here. This is where you're looking for me, right? This is what we do. This is what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's in this crowd and he sees the people and he says, hey, those of you who are weary and you're burned down over here, uh, the thing you're looking for, I've got it. I'm the one you've been missing. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the one that can give you that thing that you're yearning for over here. He's calling out to them saying, there's a great and deep longing in your soul and that longing can only be fulfilled by me. And then he says this, I love this. He, he says, not only does he say, come to me, then he says, I will give you rest. In the, in the Greek language, this, this, this letter here we have, I, this word I is emphatic. In other words, it's an overstatement for the purpose of effect, really kind of almost redundant. So in other words, Jesus would have said, I myself will give you rest. 
me and no one else. Hey, over here, I'm what you've been missing. Come to me because what you're going to find in me is I myself, me, me alone. I'm going to give you the rest that you've been longing for. No one else can give you that but me. Why is this important? The invitation of Jesus is not an invitation to rituals or rules, but a relationship. Jesus did not come to give you, listen, principles or a path, but he came to give you a person that you enter into a relationship with. In other words, coming to Jesus doesn't mean you come to Jesus and Jesus is going, all right, there are 16 things that if you'll do these things, the end result of those things will be rest and you will not have to labor and you're going to find peace in your heart that you're longing for. No, 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 that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to say, listen, uh, you come to me because this is all about relationship and I'm enough to provide for you what you desperately need, which is rest for your soul. So don't miss this, all right? You ready? Don't miss this. The invitation of Jesus is not an invitation to rest. Some of you think that's what he's talking about. The invitation of Jesus is not an invitation to rest. The invitation of Jesus is an invitation to Jesus. And in him, you find rest. And there's a massive difference. If we only pursue Jesus for what we can get from Jesus, we miss the point of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm, I am the rest. Not, I'm not going to give you something. It's not outside of me. I am the rest. So come to me. Come to me. And in me, you get rest. This is massively important that we Get this, listen to this, and I love this. What is this rest? He says in verse 29, it's rest for your soul. It's rest that the world cannot give you. It's rest in the innermost part of who you are, rest for your soul. Sure, it's eternity. Amen for that. There's going to be a day we get to enter into the full rest when Christ returns and makes all things new. But listen, this is not just rest for the hereafter, but the here and now. It's rest for our soul. It's, it's, it's rest from this sense of, of the burden of sin, of carrying this weight of our decisions and the guilt and the shame. It's, a, it's rest from having to find our own path to know God and hopefully be accepted by God. It's rest in our soul where we can find, finally, refreshment in the innermost part of who we are. This is massive. This is massive. Remember what the labor is. Remember what the labor and the burden is. Listen, for those of you who are beat down by sin and failure and religious effort, who can never be enough to be accepted by God, to never measure up to the standard or whatever that standard is for you, you can never accomplish enough or acquire enough to be satisfied. Jesus is saying, in me, you find the rest that you're hoping these other things will give to you. That sense of satisfaction in the depths of your gut. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus saying, over here. I myself will give this to you, but it's only found in me. In Jesus, here's what we find, church. I love this. We, we are free from the burden and the weight of self-effort, self-reliance, or self-righteousness. We are free from the burden of that. Self, self-effort, self-reliance, and self-righteousness. Man, it's a heavy load, is it not? 
It's a heavy load. We were never meant to carry that load, but we can relinquish that. Why? Because when we come to Jesus, we rest in his perfection. So now it's not about self-effort of me trying to perform, hoping that I can perfect myself to become this person that God will accept. No, no, no. I come to Jesus. Jesus is perfect. I get to rest in his perfection. No longer is it self-reliance of me having to do all of these things by myself and on my own to find significance in life. No, 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 no. I can rest because Jesus has done all the work. I can rest in him. I can rely on him and his provision and what he has already accomplished for me and what he's going to do in me. It's freed from self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is man's attempt to be right with God. What do we find in Jesus? How can we rest in Jesus? Because Jesus' righteousness is given to us. And so the load and the burden and the yoke of all of this self-reliance and self-effort and self-righteousness can be taken off. And when we put on the perfection of Jesus, we, we depend upon Jesus. He is now becoming our power and strength. And his righteousness is given to us. Therefore, this burden that we've been carrying can be fully removed and we can rest finally in the one who has done it all for us. This is why Jesus says, look at this, this is why he says what he says in verse 29. There's a different life that we live as a byproduct of this. Look what he says in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, a yoke is an instrument of labor. It's an instrument that you would see most likely in this reference would be put on an ox for that ox to pull a plow or for it to pull a cart. So as an instrument of, it w- that would put weight on the ox, it would have l- labor and, and work, and it would be weight of it. This, this ox pulling this, this plow, and to plow this field, or pulling this cart to move the produce. And there was often a metaphor used in reference to the law and the teachings of the religious leaders of that day that, that you had to come under the yoke of the religious system. That was kind of a metaphor used to describe someone who's going to walk in obedience to the law or is going to follow the, the traditions and the rituals that have been laid upon them, that they would put on the yoke of the Pharisees, the yoke of their rabbi. And what Jesus says, and this is what I love, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and I am gentle or I am kind. You see, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus rebukes the religious leaders, and he says, this is what you do to my people. You lay them down with all of these laws and these rituals and these burdens, and you you put it on their back, and you're not even able to carry it yourself, and you certainly won't even lift a finger to help them carry it. And Jesus is saying, listen, come to me, and you're going to find rest. But listen, notice what he says, but there's still a yoke. Here's what I think Jesus is doing in this passage of Scripture. Listen, don't, don't miss this. In most situations, there would have been a tandem yoke. And what they would typically do is they would take the older, stronger, more experienced ox and they would yoke him up with a weaker, less experienced ox. And that stronger, more experienced, older ox would lead the way as they plowed, as they pulled. That, when, that ox would carry the weight primarily. It would do the heavy lifting and as, as that ox, because of his experience, it knew what path to take, it knew where to turn because of his experience, that younger ox would just walk with him and work alongside of him, learning how to do what's been called to do. Here's what Jesus says. Unlike the Pharisees and the religious system of the day, 
There's a yoke to carry. But I'm the one who carries it. Take my yoke upon, in other words, get yoked up with me. I'm the stronger ox. I know what it's like to obey the Father. All the expectations that God has on you, I've fulfilled them. I'm carrying the load of all the expectations of righteousness. The sin and the weight of your sin, I'm carrying that as well. I'm yoke up with me. And here's what happens. This is the picture of discipleship. He says, he says take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The word learn here is the, is the verb form where we get the word disciple. Be a learner of me. Be a disciple of mine. So here's the idea. that Jesus is saying, there is still a life of obedience. There is still a life of labor. There is still a cost involved. There is still a calling. And there are going to be rough days and hard road, uh, roads that you're going to have to toil for the kingdom of God. But here is the life of rest for you. It is being yoked up with me. And as you walk in obedience to what God has, you are actually just keeping in step with me. And I'm carrying the load. And you're just walking with me as I do. So you want to know what God's will for your life is? Take my yoke upon you and run from me. You want to know what God has next for you? Just walk with me. You, you, you want to accomplish things for the kingdom of God? Just walk with me. You, you, you want to see God use you in significant ways? Just walk with me. Are you tired of doing this thing on your own and failing time and time again? All right, take that yoke off, put my yoke on, and just walk with me. And as Jesus leads, we follow. It's a different life. Listen, the, the, the yoke of Jesus is not rest. This rest that he gives is not rest from obedience. It's rest in obedience. It's not rest from labor. It is rest in labor. So as now I labor and I strive and I pursue and I obey and the flesh wants to pull away, I'm in proximity to Jesus and I'm walking with him and he's leading and he's guiding me every step of the way and I've got his spirit in me and now this path and I realize that, that he's carrying the load of everything that God demands of me and I just walk with him. And all of a sudden, here's what happens. The, listen, the labor turns into delight. Had, I had lunch with a guy this, this week, and this is what he told me. Most of his life, he's grown up in church, and he's just tried so hard to be pleasing to God. And, to, to, and he says, like, obedience was just like, I hated it. Like, like, no discipline, no desire. I don't want to be in community. I want to be in worship. Didn't, I mean, people tell me I need to obey, and I'm like, I know I need to obey, but I don't want to. And it's just hard. Here's what he said. He met Jesus about three weeks ago. And he said, there's this delight now. And he said, it's still hard. And there's still the temptation. And there's still a battle. He said, but I can't explain it. Now I want to please Jesus. Why? Because he's yoked up with Jesus and the weight is now on Jesus. And now there's delight in the work because what we find in Jesus is the satisfaction for us. So let me explain to you like this. My dad is a master carpenter, grew up uh, third or fourth generation carpenter, builder. And uh, I grew up working a little bit in and out of that uh, before I went to school, and uh, but last year we we built a house, and one of the things that I wanted to do in our house was build some of the furniture, build some of the doors, and and uh, take some of this thing, the things that I, I'd learned growing up that I really wasn't good at, and practice them. And so we had this table that we built, and when I say we built, I mean my dad built, and I was with him. <laughs> so because you know you can YouTube anything, right? Like, and they'll show you step by step the how tos. And what they do though is they film it with an expert builder. 
and makes it look really easy. And then you get in there and you're like, this is so frustrating. Because in a seven-minute video, they made a table. I've been doing this thing for seven weeks and I don't even have a leg yet, right? <laughs> and so it, there's labor involved. And it's like, it's just work and it's exhausting. And I'm just telling you right now, we built a beautiful table. I mean, it is going to be, I hope prayerfully, a, something that my kids will get one day, something that my, my father helped me build. And, and here's what we did. My dad didn't say, hey, let's, I said, hey, dad, I need you to help me build this table. He didn't sit down and go, okay, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. Call me if you need me, right? Because I would have quit before I got started. You know what dad did? What time do you want me to meet you at your house? And side by side, laughing and talking, sweating and building and getting splinters. I, I just stayed one step behind my dad. And we built a beautiful table. And there was labor involved, but there was a lot of laughter involved as well. There, there was a lot of toil, but there's a lot of joy in it. And, and what I would have quit had I attempt, attempted to do it on my own, we finished it, and it's a beautiful thing. But it was only possible because I was yoked up with my father every step of the way. Because apart from him, I couldn't have done it. Jesus is saying, you want rest? You want to exhale in life? You want to find the rest that your soul is longing for? Take off the yoke that you've been carrying, of self-reliance, of self-effort, of self-righteousness, of tradition, of my grandparents were Christians, of my family raised me in church, of I like these things on the weekend that I do, and I know I shouldn't, but I like those, and I don't want to, but I feel this struggle, and I take, that, take, those, take the yoke off and come to Jesus. And he will give you rest. Now, there's still a field to plow. And there's still a cart to pull. But he plows the field and he pulls the cart. The most frustrating place in discipleship is when you try to stay 17 steps behind Jesus. This whole bracelet that we did back in the 90s that was terrible, along with a lot of other Christian things we did in the 90s, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do will lead you to failure? Because if you could do what Jesus did, you wouldn't need Jesus. It's walk with Jesus. It's rest in Jesus. It's enter into a relationship with Jesus. It's not stand behind him and try to mimic him. It's keep in step with the Spirit. It's walk in who he is. It'll change your life. And that exhale you've been looking for, you'll find it. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going, to, I'm going to read you something that I think is descriptive of what Christ is offering today to all of us in this room. It's the lyrics of a song we're about to worship to in a few moments as we respond. It's a song that is called, O Come to the Altar. And I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song, and I really want you to ask yourself these questions and recognize these truths. In a moment when we sing it, I want you to really contemplate where you are in your journey with Jesus. It just simply says this. It says, Are you hurting 
and broken within? Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Leave behind all regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. And then the Course says this, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide because forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Some of you in this room this morning, you have carried the yoke and the burden of self-reliance, self-righteousness, self-effort. And the invitation of Jesus this morning is, hey, come. Come to me. I know you want rest. I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. I, myself, will give you the rest you're longing for. So take off the yoke you've been carrying and put on the yoke that can save you. For some of you, for the first time in your life, you'll today answer the call of discipleship. You'll, you'll answer the call to respond by faith and say, you know what, I know there's a cost and I know there's a call. And I'm willing to walk away from whatever this world has to offer, whatever I'm living for, because I know there's a rest. And that rest has a name and his name is Jesus. And I really believe this morning, some of you in this room, you need the rest of salvation. This morning, with no one looking around, if that is you this morning, like I just I don't know that I've ever trusted in Jesus, like really trusted in Jesus, where I find rest in Him. I'm gonna get you to be a favor. Just slip your hand up high. We're not gonna go get you from your seat or call yet. I just want to be able to pray for you. Just lift your hand up if that is you. Thank you very much. Just lift your hand up real high for me. Thank you. Thank you. In a moment, we're going to sing this song, and if that is where you are, there are going to be men and women here at the front that would love to pray with you and help you begin this journey of finding that rest in Jesus. Don't leave this place without it. Don't let the enemy tell you, I, this is not for me, I better not, I just wanted to raise, I just, if, if that is the confession of your heart, why would you leave today without getting that settled? There are going to be people here that can help you with that. Others of you in this room, you know Jesus, but man, you're tired because you've forgotten the journey of what it means just to walk with him. You've forgotten the, the, the beauty of the gospel is that he has carried the load for you. And so this morning, you need to just say, God, I've forgotten what it's like to exhale in you. God, I need you to refresh my soul again. As we sing, as we worship, maybe you want to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you want to kneel at your seat or whatever that looks like for you. 
For some of you this morning, even though you know Jesus, you need rest. Not from obedience, not from labor, not from serving him, but rest in the middle of all of it because you're walking with him. So this morning, just reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And maybe there is sin in your life that you've been trying to live this dual life and you need to confess that, you need to repent of that. Father, I love you and I pray now in the name of Jesus that as we in a moment stand and sing that you would have, have your way and do a work in the next few moments, God. We lay this before you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's worship just for a few moments. If you need to give your life to Jesus, if you raise your hand, come and talk to one of these decision encouragers here. For others of you who just need to confess sin or maybe just ask God to refresh your soul, spend some time as we sing through this song reflecting on what Jesus wants to do in your heart this morning. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.